I've been asked to introduce the show, so without further ado, Bird Road Podcast featuring Q and Jewish Dave. Hello, everyone. Thank you all for coming out, and I want to thank um, Derek at Rebar. Can everybody hear us okay? So I want to thank Derek from Rebar for having us here, Um, the staff and everybody who's helping out with with the event. Um, We considered a few of our other favorite bars Hello. for instance we look we, we we any any old uh, las vegas people here might remember um pinkies we considered that as a venue turned out that it was out of business what else did we consider oh man moose mcgillicuddy's is, is moose mcgillicuddy still in business no ah, damn tom and jerry's ah. no luck sneakers no. no yeah these are our old haunts from way back in the day yeah uh, and this place is way better honestly and you want to know why because it's in business um <laughs> so uh, I'm really glad to be downtown. We are longtime Las Vegas residents. I haven't been here for 12 years. Dave has been here continuously. Forever. Forever. And Pretty much. One of the things that I, I really like is the fact that we're really close to my old bail bondsman right down the street, which I think might come in handy later. I visited um, him many times. <laughs> so this is going to be a pretty free-flowing thing. We have a lot of really great voices that we've lined up to come talk tonight. For everybody who's face- Facebook following us, and I see some activity there, that is good um <laughs> we uh we're gonna bring up a lot of progressive voices and, and kind of give a voice to them um but most important before we get started one thing i want to urge exhort uh, hector harangue all of you into doing is download the podcast please um subscribe to it rate it review it what else can they do with it well this episode will be up on tuesday if you're listening to it online it is tuesday um, so yeah, make sure you check it out once it comes out, leave it a review, share it, all that kind of good stuff. And, and it, back there, there's merchandise because we're dirty capitalists. Uh, <laughs> so we're just trying to make back the cost of the plane ticket. But if, uh, if there's t-shirts back there for 20 bucks, if you want to get one, that's great. But more importantly, our candidates, a lot of them have brought, uh, some of their campaign literature and, and, and collateral. So urge all of you to please, if you, uh, don't have it, go check it out and you can learn more about them. So this show, what is this show, Dave? How would you describe it? Well, Bird Road Podcast uh, is a combination of all things uh, news, entertainment, culture, politics, um, by me and Q here, uh, Dave and Dave. And this is something we wanted to start many years ago, and we finally got around to it a few months ago. Uh, this is our first live episode, and we're super excited to be sharing a stage in front of you people. and. Uh, Talking about this kind of stuff. How on brand are you right now? Are you on brand with Bird Road right now? Are you on brand? I'm wearing a shirt. That's not good enough. You got to have the socks, dude. You got to have socks. Are those Bird Road socks? They're just purple socks. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, just like in our normal episodes, we're going to start off with a couple of news items before we have our guests on. News item number one, how many folks here understand redistricting? I think we have a pretty uh, well-versed group here. Our first news item was, was something we wanted to discuss that has huge repercussions for a state like Nevada, where you guys uh, uh, went Democrat in the, mo- in the most recent election, but only by the thinnest of margins. If you added up the people who chose no candidate and took those 28,000 people and added them to, um, to Donald Trump's uh, total, he would have won. That's how thin the margin was. Uh, one of the things that, that this president, assuming he can finish his term, will absolutely be able to do is is kind of lead the trail on uh, on redistricting because 
the U.S. Census is basically the, the, the key data points that, that, that lead to what happens in redistricting stem or emanate or promulgated through the U.S. The, the, the US Census, which will happen in 2020. Now, Nevada's great because Nevada is actually, you guys are one of the least gerrymandered districts, or I'm sorry, states in the, in, in the whole country. Nevada and Indiana are two of the, two of the least gerrymandered um, districts, but uh, states, but that might change. The next redistricting in 2020 is going to be at least partially under Republican control. And I, I, caught, I caught this news item from Ben Wickler at moveon.org, who I follow, and um, he, he brought this really sort of underreported story that I hadn't seen. Any. A guy named Tom Brunel. Have you heard of Tom Brunel? Yeah, just uh, I, I read the article that you sent me, and yeah, I, I read about him. And uh, you're, supposed it, to, you're supposed to act surprised. It's supposed to be like a breaking the fourth wall. Was that a uh, No, I'm a just thing? kidding. No? It's, not, okay. it's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's a Republican political science. He was an author of uh, a book called Redistricting and Representation, Why Competitive Elections Are Bad for America. Um, so this person is currently wending his, his way through approval to uh, be the deputy director that ov oversees this, the, the United States Census. This is somebody who's rallied uh, in, in a very strong way to, um, to limit competitive elections on a district level. This is a really important story, guys, and nobody's talking about it. Because beyond just the actual elections, a lot of these, um, a lot of redistricting also has impacts on on allocation of resources for social programs and for just so many different things about the way that our that that our our, our budgets are worked out uh, stem from that. Um, what I thought was one of the most insidious things about this story is the fact that the Trump administration is putting him forward as he's going to be the head of this of the 2020 census. But they're putting him forward as the deputy director in order to, to circumvent any Senate. That way uh, they could slip review. him through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he won't, have to, he won't have to go through any kind of Senate confirmation hearing. And there's just nothing that can be done about it because the person who would be in charge of it, uh, it it's, it's not beholden to, to voters. It's, it's the, the, the director would not be in, beholden to voters. But what you can do and what that person is beholden to is, is senators because the Senate controls their budget. So I urge everybody contact your senator. Those are the people that can actually apply pressure. So, yeah, our second news segment was, uh, you know, something we were hoping something would happen over, you know, recently so that way we could talk about it, something, you know, really timely and everything. Yeah, yeah. here's the thing. Like, you never know what the news cycle is going to bring you. Right. You never know how kind it's going to be to you. Yeah. And we wanted to, back in Florida where I live, we have a, 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 a representative, is um, a man by the name of Carlos Carbello. And he engages in, he's a Republican, he engages in what I've started calling when I argue with him on Twitter, uh, Twitter theater, where he's very public about his opposition to the administration while at the same time voting with them 94% of the time. Which so, is what they do. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So I wanted an in to be able to talk about this. Like, w would there be a situation during this week where the president would do a thing that would give me an opening to talk about so-called centrist Republicans denouncing him publi publicly while at the same time <laughs> voting with him? Well, and sure enough, yesterday it was... A, it, well, he'd have to be a shithole to do something like that, wouldn't he? Um. So, from the Washington Post and from now, when I wrote these notes from the Washington Post, now from literally everywhere, 
From the Washington Post, President Trump grew frustrated with lawmakers Thursday in the Oval Office when they floated restoring protections for immigrants from Haiti, El Salvador, and African countries as part of a bipartisan immigration deal, according to two people who were briefed on the meeting. Now, quote, why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here, Trump said, according to these people. Referring to African countries in Haiti, he then suggested that the United States should instead bring more people from countries like Norway, whose prime minister he met Wednesday. Most people don't know this. I'm half Norwegian. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of I immigration in the other direction. Um, we need to get you out. So, <laughs> yeah, get me out of Get the Puerto Rican half of me out, right? And then keep, keep the, and then keep the, uh, I didn't say the Norwegian part, half of me. Um, look, the reason we bring this one up is because I read a really funny article on a website where I always go to when I want to laugh, The Federalist. And, um, and, on that, and they were talking about the, I don't know if any of you guys read The Federalist, but like I said before, it's, it's really great for a laugh. Um, I have a blast reading it. And one of the things that they wrote about recently was this concept of outer borough uh, dialect, which for, as me, as somebody from Long Island, I, I, I know a little bit about that because I, I, I ended up not really getting the outer borough dialect, but I definitely grew up around the people that had it. Sure um, and what they what they were trying to say and is, is that that the president talks in a way that media doesn't like because that's the way that he's been raised and that's the way that people in Queens talk and that's you know straight to the point and stupid I, I, stupid I mean I don't know there are smart people from the outer boroughs of course there are I mean I, you're yeah. born in Brooklyn yeah, yeah I'm born in Bayshore Long Island yeah it's not a rhetorical thing um, it's it, it was funny because Fox News had, of all people, up there defending the Outer Borough accent, Scott Bayo, And he spoke about as eloquently as you could expect. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I got a great quote. I'm going to help the media now, okay? I'm going to try to help them, okay? It's not, okay, going to go anywhere, but I'm going to try to help them because we've called the president. The president has dementia. He's, in, he's an idiot. He's not mature. I'm from Brooklyn. President Trump is from Queens. This is what we do. We mess with people. I don't know if that passes muster as the explanation. <laughs> I, I think that that is something that um, we could all agree with a statement such as that, right? I mean, I mean if we a, any of us would have thought of that. If we understood it, we could agree it, sure. <laughs> um, so the thing I really wanted to get to was, was these Republican responses uh, to, the, to, to specifically this news. Um, I designed this incredible PowerPoint deck. You guys can hire me for like $300 an hour. I'll make you a PowerPoint deck. Um, so uh, your neighbor in Utah, they have the only Haitian member of Congress, or Haitian-born member of Congress. Her name is um, Mia Love. I don't know if anybody here is familiar with her. Released a lengthy statement denouncing, almost immediately denouncing the, uh, the, the, the comments that were, that were made, the shithole comments, right? Um, but just out of curiosity, I went and, uh, and, and looked her up on, on 538, and sure enough, 96.7% of the time, that's her Trump score. Her Trump score is that she votes along with the administration 96.7% of the time. Similarly, my, uh, my, my, my representative, Carlos Corbello, said, if the White House will not deny the reports regarding the degradation of other nations and their peoples, it is necessary for the president to apologize immediately. That's the least he can do. That's great, but the least that Carlos Corbello could do is disagree with him once when it matters because his Trump score is 94.5 so it's all Twitter theater like I said 
we can keep going through this. Amanda Carpenter, who used to be the representative for Ted Cruz and now spends all her days on, on CNN. She's basically a Cruz flacky, uh, flack. Uh, Mr. President, I can't watch the news tonight, not even on mute with captions. My daughter now is old enough to read four-letter words that you use. I agree. My daughter, too, is also old enough to understand what the president is, is saying now. But Eight-letter words. <laughs> but my, the, the, the candidate that I support, similarly to the way that Amanda Carpenter supports Ted Cruz, doesn't vote with him, let's look, 93.0% of the time. So I, I think you get my point. I don't want to belabor this because I found like 100 examples and only how long ago was this? 24 hours. It's Twitter theater and it's the kind of thing that's designed to, to change your perception of, uh, of a candidate and make, make you forget what it is that they're actually enacting in terms of an agenda. And it's, it's the kind of thing that's made to, to distract. And it's also the kind of thing that's made to engage with people like all of us who live in battleground districts, battleground areas that are often represented by Republicans who, in the case of Carlos Carbello, Ileana Roslatenen, the other congressman in my area, their districts swung Democratic by enormous margins in the most recent election. And they know that they are looking at that whole hashtag time is up uh, challenge coming. It's a really good chance, similarly to, I think, Dean Heller could easily be said to be in the same boat here in Nevada. And it's theater. It's all just trying to appear as though you are this centrist and you're this right-minded person. You don't agree with the president and everything, but it's a lie. Well, I think uh, we should bring up our first guest of the night. I think that's a great idea. You think so? So, again, we're lucky enough to have some incredible guests tonight. Um, and I'm going to introduce the first one. Uh, Kyle Chamberlain is a human rights and political activist as well as the co-founder of the Rights Society. He's also running for governor in Nevada. Everybody welcome, Kyle. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Yeah. On a nippy night. Nippy, yeah, but the pizza warmed me up. The pizza All is right. a good pie. Unbelievable, man. The yeah, smell. I'm looking forward to trying my pizza. <laughs> so give us a little bit of a, um, of a background of of who you are, how you became politically engaged, and how you found yourself, you know, running for the top elected position in the state <laughs> as a pretty young man, significantly younger man than I am, I can tell. Just by 29. That. And I'm young, too. I'm, I'm 29 and a half. Hey, we're all young. You we know? were young. It's a, it's a mentality, <laughs> right? Um, you know, I, I grew up here in Las Vegas. My family moved here uh, when I was six years old from Vermont. You know, uh, Las Vegas was booming. My, uh, both my parents are hardworking. Uh, my dad was in construction, uh, laid a lot of carpet in Las Vegas, a lot of tile in Las Vegas. Um, I, I worked with him and realized how hard he worked and I think that instilled a lot of hard work into myself. My mother was a hairdresser. Um, they both retired basically due to disabilities. Uh, carpet tunnel in my mom's hands from cutting all the time. Uh, my dad's back, he threw out his back laying carpet. Um, and, and just seeing them you know, work hard always just I always appreciated that and you know as you're growing up you know you're trying to find yourself what do you want to do and I didn't want to lay carpet because it was really really hard um, and I, I got into digital marketing kind of like yourself you're in PR and, and marketing and I did a lot of photography um, when I was 18 I started my own uh, screen printing business um, so from there, I, I've done multiple different jobs into where I've worked construction, uh, doing electrical work for $10 an hour. Um, and, and it, you know, it's hard work when you're doing that. And, you know, I, I feel like I, f I feel that struggle on many 
of our neighbors and our community members is like, you know, a lot of people work hard and they never get that break. They never uh, have the ability to get ahead a little bit. If anything, you're always like every year you're falling behind, then Christmas rolls around and then it's like you have to buy presents. We go into more debt, um, whether it's in credit cards or just many families can't buy those presents for kids. So, you know, growing up with the appreciation of hard work, um, finding myself in what I do. And I, I really like, uh, I do like marketing, but I, I, I gravitated more towards do good marketing. And um, from there, um, basically two years ago, um, during the uh, election, I got more politically involved than I used to be because I felt that there was a chance. Um, I always had a, a feeling, even since high school, um, that it was very hard to reach our elected officials and many people have no clue where to start and it's it's almost too much trouble to get a hold of our elected officials even today and when you do there's usually you get some bullshit answer red, back red tape and yeah yeah you get some bullshit answer back through an email that's like been copy pasted and sent from their assistant you get no uh, and, and I'm talking about candidates that are on the Democratic side as well as the Republican side. Uh, you know, people, you know, w when we're protesting uh, Dean Heller, um, you know, it's an opposition protest. But when we're also trying to reach out to the people that are supposed to be on our team and they're not responding, well, that really frustrates me, too. Um, going back to the election, though, you know, I was a Bernie Sanders uh, state delegate, volunteer, um, and Ambra Waite and I went to, after the convention here which I met a lot of these great people at it was, it was a really frustrating time and that day Amber and I said we're gonna go to the national convention and protest whether you know we had a feeling they're not gonna give to Bernie Sanders but we're gonna go back and we're gonna protest anyway and we're gonna support our national delegates that are there as well and that was one of the most um, you know inspirational moments I think because I saw thousands of people coming together realizing like these people have common ground with me. We have common goals. We want the world, we want our country, our states to be better for everyone. I think, I think um, like you said a couple of years ago, is when you really got more politically involved. I think yeah. a lot of us could say that as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's such a, a big It was time. an inflection point for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever and your it, issue was. And I don't think it's, you know, that everybody was asleep. It's at some point you're like, you don't know what to do. And we have to protect ourselves, protect our families, uh, make a paycheck. We have to do those things. So those things come first. Uh, it's kind of natural, right? You have to pay your bills. Those things come first. Uh, politics comes second. Um, being an activist comes third, maybe. You know what I mean? And so. And what comes fourth is, uh, you know, trying to dodge the, the Clinton helicopters right. that are coming to get you, you know? Well, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we got microphones. We should be good. Um, but, you know, so. Uh, from then on, uh, Amber and I, you know, we went to a thing called the People's Convention because we weren't allowed into the Democratic Convention, right? And we, we talked to a lot of people about human rights and that, you know, we would like to start an organization that fights for human rights on a local level. So we came back to Las Vegas, and that was our main focus. We, we created Right Society um, to work on human rights. Um, and from there, we voted to work on education in Nevada. 
because we're currently and have right. been for Ed a while. Education is a huge issue for you on your pl on your platform and yeah. what you've talked about so far. And for any of our listeners that don't know that maybe aren't in Nevada, it is um, as recently as 2016 was dead last in the country in education. Yeah. And, it, and it has been for a few uh, years, actually, and, and it doesn't really seem to increase. Um, in, in, in a performance and on top of that there's there's so many complex things going on with education um, and, and luckily I learned a lot of that through right society through re researching these issues um, we, we have a school board of trustees um, that are elected officials um, that they basically control the, f they, the fifth largest school district in the country now that's okay if it's working but when it's not working we need to figure out why um, and what they do is then they hire superintendents and uh, 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 superintendents under those superintendents at really ridiculous salaries to run our school district and our school district still continues to fail. So again, um, we need to look at the real issues. Um, some of the issues, and I, I know we have uh, two teachers, one's a candidate in the audience. You know, when I talk to teachers, it's not always necessarily about the pay. We need to pay them better. I believe we do need to pay them better. Um, some people go, well, then you need to have higher requirements. I agree. I would like higher requirements for our education yeah, as well. Both of those things make sense. Yeah, right. And we can do both. Um, we, we have a huge teacher shortage in Nevada. It's not necessarily because the pay. It's because of the working environment. It is such a draining and negative work environment as yeah, far it as has the become institution. Toxic. As, a, yeah. as, a, as a person whose family, who has family members who um, are and were uh, public school, Clark County public school teachers, it uh, over the course of 30 years has turned into just a morass of toxicity and, and, and bad feelings and underappreciation. And it's it's really hard. Oh, shit. They're coming to get me. The Board of Education is coming. They got me. Um, it's hard to recover from that. But I think it's something that it's great that it's a, it's a part of your... Um, it's a part of your platform. Yeah, and, and it is a big part of my platform, and, and it may be because I went through Clark County School District here, so I feel like I know some of the issues firsthand, and I know some of the issues from talking to parents, uh, being a parent, and talking to the teachers that, you know, there's issues that that we need to, there's issues that we need to fix now, and that includes funding, but not, I mean, we are ranked as a, uh, a D plus in funding our, our kids in Nevada as well. There's a huge problem with the funding formula, getting um, all the you know getting the money to all the schools properly. There's a huge problem with the school district uh, spending 45% of the money still at the central office versus going to the schools directly. Um, they're trying to rectify these things with the reorganization bill, but honestly, it's been a complete shit show. Um, so we're not going to know until the end of the year um, if we have any improvements. But I don't really trust Clark County School District to be able to say, um, here's our analysis of what happened this year. Right. Um, here's how we fix it. Because they have not been able to do that once yet. So we went ahead and did something for you on your behalf. It's our own little contribution oh, to your campaign. Thank you. Now, here's the thing. This is a modern digital age. And when you get a full built out communications team, you're going to know this. But you don't exist as a candidate yet until you're on Wikipedia. Yeah. So Dave and I took the moment to go ahead and uh, we were going to do a whole thing, a whole contrived bit where we were going to pretend that um, we were doing it live. But in fact, I actually use screen record technology to um, there you go. go ahead and go on. <laughs> and as you guys know from earlier, I'm we are huge technical people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also, yeah, just generally we, we have great luck with technology. So um. <laughs> there we go. 
cannot play. Cannot play. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I love it, guys. <laughs> Maybe the second one that says Kyle MP4. Got to try different X2. Awesome. Oh, Good stuff. Um, <laughs> shut off the Facebook Live. <laughs> They're going to laugh at us. You can show me shut on the, the laptop, up. I guess. <laughs> so if you go on Wikipedia and look up the, uh, the 2018 gubernatorial race in Nevada, you're going to see another name under the Democratic uh, candidates, you. people who have thrown their hands into the ring. Thank you, guys. I so it's official. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> you guys have made it official. There we um, go. Well, and, and that brings um, a, a different point of, um, you know, the media covering progressive candidates. You know, what media covering progressive candidates? Right, like. exactly. And can't, you know, you can't get frustrated at it. Um, even though I do, and and we probably do some of the candidates in the audience. But I think for for me at least, I, I got a great email from Ralston that said, "Hey, have you have you not read the article about what justifies you as a viable candidate?" And so I read this email about saying, basically, we're going to dictate whether we should cover you as a candidate. Yeah. Here's our criteria. Yeah. Do you match it? Right. And I loved it, you know, because I got super excited that they're not going to cover our campaign right now. But I guarantee you they will. And and I don't take no for an answer. I really don't. Um, when it comes down to it, you're going to see Chamberlain for governor on all of the medias. You're going to see them on the Nevada Independent, whether they like it or not, because they're going to have to cover it because we're not running a campaign for I'm not running this for myself. I'm running it for people who feel misrepresented. Uh, misrep misrepresented, uh, disenfranchised for people who have no voice, for people who work hard, they work so hard, they don't have time for politics. Um, those are the people our campaign is going to represent. And so eventually they have to notice it. Just like, I, and I, I never like to compare myself to Bernie. He's a huge inspiration of mine. But at the, at the very beginning, they were like, this is a joke. It's a fringe campaign. And then next thing you know, Bernie was on top of the media, right? But most of the time they were saying he's not going to win. And we all know Bernie would have won. <laughs> so, you know. That's a, that's a great way to end this segment. Bernie would have won. That's a, has anybody ever said that? Has anybody ever mentioned that? <laughs> everybody, uh, you, you, if I lived here, you would have my vote. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate Kyle that. Kyle Chamberlain for governor, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. So this is a pretty big job up here. I'm already exhausted. Uh, <laughs> we haven't even gotten halfway through our roster of really great speakers. Um, but we enlisted some help. Uh, we, we, we called in some talent. Um, and one of the things is we're usually pretty funny. I mean, I'm incredibly funny, and uh, is pretty funny. <laughs> but we decided to get somebody who's professionally funny and um, significantly better at it for us. So uh, better at it than us. So Jason Harris is a writer and a, a comedian based here in Las Vegas. In the aftermath of the shooting on the Strip, he coordinated food deliveries among hospital and precinct shifts to help folks during the recovery process. He's a super funny guy. Uh, everybody, welcome, Jason Harris. Now you better be fucking funny. Well, if he's not funny, at least he brought pizza. Yeah. <laughs> you know him from so such hits as pizza? That's, right. That's the only one I care about. So, uh, hello. So how long have you been in Vegas? I've been in Vegas on and off since 1996. So do the math. Yeah, you've, you've been there. 22 years. I came in. We both came in 98. 98, so, yeah. So, yeah. Um, what is it that keeps you here? Nothing. When L.A. is right I there. I keep leaving and coming back. So failure, that's what keeps me here. Um, no, it's, it's an easy lifestyle. I like it. You know, I'm a single dad. It's a good place for my daughter. Uh, 
who is in private school at the age of four because the schools do suck out here. I listen to the podcast just now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's just the easy lifestyle pretty much. L.A. was good. It's just a hassle, man. I agree with you hassle. about Vegas being an easy lifestyle. It's Vegas, like everything is just so – it's just available. I always call Vegas a goddamn conveyor belt. Like you just – what, like from the minute that you're off the plane, or that you land, or that you arrive, you're on a conveyor belt of simplicity and easiness. And oh, you need to cash an out-of-state check at three in the morning. Don't worry. We can why do you need to do that? That's don't worry about why I need okay, to do that. Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's let's sh- shift tone a little bit to, to talk about what happened um, after the uh, after the shooting and, and what what caused you. To, uh, to do the work that you did and, and just, just walk us through that whole time. Yeah, no, thanks for that intro. It's always good when a comedian gets the intro after the Route 91 tragedy. That's a great, <laughs> solid intro. To so you know he's up. funny. Yeah, yeah, that's there's good. All, there's only a... Between yeah. that and the planes and the freezing cold weather, it's prime time for comedy out here, guys. So if only you could have started a little later. Um <laughs> No, I don't, you know, so I write about food for a bunch of magazines, like four or five different magazines. So there was, whoa, that was flickery. Um, So there was no plan. I had no plan. I just knew people needed food. So I started making calls and I just stayed on Facebook and people would message me. A hundred people are in the line at the blood bank. They've been there for hours or we have grief counselors here. So all I did was facilitate mostly through social media, to be honest with you. Um, but we were feeding about 3,000 people a day just just based on uh, community spirit and everything like that. And the, I think as much as any industry, the culinary industry stepped up out here. Yeah, they, really, they really came together, and it yeah. seemed like they did such an amazing thing. We had chefs from off the strip. We had the biggest chefs on the strip. And it was, it was for me, it was as simple as, hey, I need to get 50 meals to the hospital at this point in time if a chef said I can't do it I'd be like that's cool let me get to the next chef you know so there was no it was just we're gonna do it because it needs to be done that's it there was no plan at all I wish I could tell you I was better organized and had like a whole thing but I did have a lot of help from a lot of people out there so so it was great work um, we wanted to get you up here also to play a little bit of a game before we uh, bring up our next guest. All right. I, uh, first of all, nice. I like the note cards. Very James Lipton-esque. I wish they were blue. And, <laughs> and your name is? Yes. You could have given me Jason the whole questionnaire. If, uh, what is your favorite curse word? So anything for a Lipton impression. Um, okay, but now you have to tell us your favorite curse word. Uh, I think you know what it is. I was in a movie in college, and I remember what my line was... Uh, it was it was something like, "Hey, Captain Ass Bitch, what do you think of that?" So I think I'm gonna go with Captain Ass Bitch still to this day. And <laughs> so a pretty good compound curse word. <laughs> you know, you throw as much on as possible. Yeah, nowadays there. you need to do that. You know. So um, okay, so we're gonna play a little game with you. <laughs> Your and then, sound guy is freezing. It's and then release you into. I have a leather jacket <laughs> if you want it. Am I too loud? No, he's uh. he's saying don't tell him that he's really cold. <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay, so here's the game. Um, the, uh, I mean. If you thought of who the modern-day Charles Dickens is uh, in terms of somebody who's just pulling back the, uh, well, the gossamer Milo, sheets. Right? That's what you guys want me to yeah. say. <laughs> it's it's got to be Milo Yiannopoulos, oh, right? I mean, I he's got to be the greatest the writer of our time. Um, of course. Unfortunately, of course, uh, the liberal media didn't want him to get his, his brilliant ideas out. And... Um, it resulted in a, uh, a, a pending lawsuit between him and his, uh, his his publisher. Now, as part of discovery, 
for that lawsuit, we were lucky enough to get the galley notes of uh, everything that his editor <laughs> had to say in terms of comments on his initial manuscript. So here's the game. I'm going to give you four quotes that the editor of Milo Yiannopoulos' uh, 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 manuscript actually put on there. One of them is fake. Okay? All right. Let's so. do it. What do I win? Do I... Do I get a free you bird? You win a slice of pizza. Cold what pizza. about a Bird City t-shirt? Do I get yes, one of those? Yes, you want a Bird course, City yeah, t-shirt. Cool. I'm going to take Unfortunately, one I only have anyway. ones that say Bird Road, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, you guys should think about rebranding then. <laughs> God damn it. What bird are you, Road. It's are you my actual co-host who hates the fucking title of the, of the show? I kind of like the name, but Bird City is maybe a little more. Um, okay, so here we go, everybody. And If you're out there in the audience and you're out there on Facebook, you're, you're, uh, you're welcome to join in. What does Bird Road into. mean? Bird Road refers to the main thoroughfare going east and west uh, through the middle of Miami. Oh. Uh, conceptually, Here what it's it comes, meant to everybody. be is a uh, show that uh, gives voice to people who live in the colloquial, you know, quote-unquote, Main Street USA, but don't fall into I, the stereotypical... I think he just wanted to say no, colloquial. I do have a follow-up question. Do people tell you you look like Ricky the Dragon Steamboat? No, I fucking wish they did. You kind of do look like. You guys remember Ricky the Dragon Steamboat? You look like a big wrestler. I would. I yeah. would. Just the guy riding for Senate. So. <laughs> All would, right. Yeah, that's good. They're they're literally moving the set, shutting doors. <laughs> I hope everybody brought their bicycles. On. All the invites had bicycle requests on them. All right. So here we go. Four quote. We got three of these. Four All quotes. Right. That uh, four quotes from the editor. One of them is fake. Okay. First set of four. The band's Let, here. Let's leave the cuck out of it. Okay, that's number one. Got it. This is not the time or place for another black dick joke. Mm. Okay, that's quote number two. Quote number three. If you want to prove your point, you have to show examples of why Islam is cancer. Number four. I will not accept a manuscript that labels an entire class of people mentally ill. Now, which one is the fake? I mean, as a writer, I would think an editor's note would be the third note. The, the, if you want to prove your point, you have to back it up with arguments. But that's probably not it because we're talking about, you know, people who don't really you're care right. about that's facts. You're right. That's right. It's not it. Like that. You, so, you're one for one. Wow. Yeah. Good job. Uh, I think I'm going to go with, uh, let's see. Wait, I already told you that you won. You oh, I got it. Yeah, you got it. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the one I answered already. Good, good choice. Good choice. Yeah. All that's right. That's the one I'm answering. Next one. First quote. This section is not what we agreed upon. It's far worse. Second quote. All caps. Delete. Ugh. Third quote. This just doesn't make any sense here. Fourth quote, dumb joke. I mean, it could be any of them, right? That's fair enough. Sure. Uh, let's go to the first one. Damn, you're right. Two for two. That's correct. All right. Wow. It's, two for it's two. like I write for a living. Or yeah, something. it's almost like yeah. yeah. It's almost like you can you can read what I'm doing. So <laughs> I'm not I'm not cheating. For the clean sweep. All right. Bird City T-shirts. I just changed the name of the podcast. <laughs> for uh, the first quote. All this pop psychology is hogwash. I, no, that's not it. Now, just take a second, everybody. I want you to think about, like, you've submitted a manuscript to a professional publishing house, and these are the notes that you're getting back. I don't know. As a writer, it would crush me. I don't think it crushed Milo, though. Um, second quote. Milo didn't care at all. Delete entire chapter. <laughs> Third quote. 
if you're going to make a case for gay men going back into the closet and marrying women just to have children, you're going to have to employ a lot more intellectual rigor. That is the third quote. And the fourth quote is, check your source on, quote, biblical proportions of misandry, end quote. I feel Which like one? it's the last one. You're right. Three for three. We got a winner. Look wow. at that. We got a I'm the champion of wow. the game. I won. <laughs> We're going to have to <laughs> make him a Bird Steve City Oak. shirt for that. <laughs> That's right. Everybody, I, my own personal I don't want to keep Jason too long. He's got a really important things to do. Um, Not really. <laughs> but where can people find you? Like, give, give a plug for yourself. <clears throat> uh, I'm all uh, up on that social media. I have a web series out called The Defeated, so that's on Facebook. Very funny stuff. Thank you. Uh, Facebook.com backslash The Defeated Show. Uh, personally, I'm at Jason Harris Comedy on pretty much everything, or J. Harris Comedy, and that's it. So any of the, the major Friendster, you know, whatever. Still, if you're still Friendster, using right? That. Still making it work? Still. I just signed up. You're paying for those boosted posts on there, right? <laughs> Friendster boosted posts. I just pay for <laughs> friends in general. Thank Everybody, a round guys. of applause for Jason. Keep Thank you, Jason. supporting the good people here at Bird City. Yeah, enjoy your pizza from Good Pie. All right. So next up, we're real lucky to have this person joining us. Um, she's a congressional candidate running for Nevada District 4. She's a successful businesswoman and an outspoken, yeah, I like the enthusiasm, and an outspoken advocate for Medicare for All whose unexpected entry into the world of activism led her to throw her hat into the ring. Everybody, please, round of applause for Amy Valela. She's got her cards because we have another fun game set up for her later, but <laughs> first. They're different cards. They're different, completely different cards. <laughs> um, so let's start off with a little bit of background about yourself and, and what it's like the it's like almost a trope at this point asking people like what activated you what got you going and um, but for, but for you it's a, a a really touching and personal story and I'd like you to share it. Sure, um, you know my um, activism started on the heels of my daughter's death. Um, I had a daughter who was 22 years of age, healthy, vibrant, funny. Uh, she was in school to become an RN, working two jobs and. Uh, she was very, very responsible and um, really funny. <laughs> uh, she was, um, in many ways, uh, she was someone that I would love to, um, to emulate. She had a lot of good qualities about her. She was very strong. My daughter um, was one of the unfortunate people in this country that she died um, from a lack of proof of insurance. She had just driven out here from Kansas City. Um, she was African-American, taking birth control, sickle cell trait, um, and she had an injured knee. All things that should have screamed that she had um, all the signs and symptoms for a blood clot, and she went to a local ER, and because she wasn't able to provide proof of insurance, um, she was denied adequate treatment, and she was told specifically to go get insurance, and see a specialist. We're not a doctor's office. And you know, I had to do what no parent should have to do, and that is to hold the child that um, you gave birth to the first day of school, um, all of those relationships, and watch them die in your arms from a preventable uh, medical um, you know, life issue, and 
Sorry, it's her birthday was supposed to be Sunday. She would have been 25. And that really spurred me on to get into activism. But as I went into the community and as I started going out and meeting people within the community, not only in Nevada, but across this nation, I met so many people that were hurting and might have began because of my daughter, Shalin. She might have been the thing that spurred me on to get into activism. But to continue on and to eventually run for Congress was because of all of the people I met day to day, people that were about to be homeless, people that were struggling through an illness and worrying about how they're going to pay for it and talking about you know, getting together a GoFundMe account to pay for it. People that were worried about, you know, whether or not they were going to be able to, you know, get their next meal, not even just worrying about a house, but just where they're going to get their next food, homeless people. And also, you know, marching with the LGBT community in the Pride Parade and holding the hand of a dear friend of mine as he was very upset as we were walking past jeering protesters. You know, all of these things are things that people, the 99%, are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Whether you're losing your house, losing a job, you're not able to pay for things, you're a single mother trying to make it, you know, you have your children dying because of either, you know, discrimination based on your sexual identity or sexual preference or whether, you know, racial issues. These are what the 99% are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that was my motivating factor to put my hat in to run for Congress because the status quo is no longer acceptable and the American people are not going to take it anymore. And I decided if not me, then who? Awesome. Yeah. Well. And you know, our, our, our president likes to talk bad about other countries. What about a country that doesn't take care of their own people? You know? Exactly. Someone uh, might the, figure The richest country yeah. in the history yeah. of the world uh, to, to exist. Mike Figueredo is a, a dear friend of mine, and he also um, produces the Humanist Report. And I think he said it perfectly. He said, this would not have happened in Saudi Arabia. I mean, you know, that, that is amazing. You know, my husband is an immigrant from Brazil, and he's the first one that introduced the idea to me of single payer. And I was like, like most Americans, I'm like, what is that? It's foreign. It's yeah. completely foreign to you when you. When I was yeah. like, what? The government? What? Like, there you don't have to go to your job, and like, you know, how does that work? And um, and then I went to the fr the single payer conference in New York City, where the amazing Nina Turner was speaking, and that also was another pivotal like moment in my life that helped gear me towards the decision of running because I remember her telling me I was just a grieving mother at the time. And she was like, Amy, you know, you have to dig really, really deep because you're going to have to fight this. You have to fight it. You have to just dig as deep as it gets. And she's like, you remember what I told you? And I don't know if you all know Nina Turner, but she talks about the bones you need, the backbone, the jawbone, you know. And she's like, you have all of those. Fight. And then I never looked back. And it Nina Turner has that effect on people. Yes, she does. She's amazing. It, it bears <laughs> repeating. And again, it w one of the things that we, you know, obviously as people who are of a more progressive lilt, uh, God, it feels so good to be able to say that after like a career in journalism. <laughs> and to be able to actually say the way that I feel and talk to somebody like this without um, fear of repercussion. But uh, again, if you don't know this, in every instance, socialized medicine, Medicare for all, the National Institute of Health, whatever, consistently 
consistently every time delivers better outcomes at lower cost. So I don't know what other angle of the argument there is beyond, you know, the the, the most tired of ones. Um, it's a huge part plank in your platform, and I think it's yes. incredibly important. Well, you know, it's also important to state, you know, before I got into activism, you know, I was, you know, a single mother that I had, I through my history, I was a single mother. I was on Medicaid, food stamps, WIC. You know, I, I remember times my kids were hungry, and they even would make stuff like applesauce sandwiches. They're going to, like, totally, like, tell me about that to the day I die. But <laughs> they, well, that's how impoverished we were. We were trying to get by. And I remember my dining room set was a great little, like, you know, um, set from Walmart that you, like, use for your lawn, you know, the white lawn furniture you have. That was our dining room set. So I've been there, and I thought, you know, like everyone else thinks, that if you just work hard enough, if you just put your, you know, I put myself through college, I worked myself up the career field, I was a CFO making six figures, you know, I'm here, I made it, I can give back to my kids. None of us are safe. We're only as strong as the weakest in our community. And the business community should be out there on the front lines with me, and as a CFO I can say this, they should be holding signs saying Medicare for all because it would alleviate the massive amounts of money they put into the health care payments every month. They'd be able to hire people, increase pay wages, they'd be able to you know, invest in, in infrastructure and assets. They should be out there with us. We are enslaved to the greedy profiteers of the insurance industry and the healthcare industry. And I can tell you now that profit motive does not belong in healthcare and prisons or anything else that, that people's lives depend on it. There's a place for it, but it's not in things like this. Healthcare is not a commodity. It no, should it's never a human ever right. be commodities. Yeah. So um, one of the things that I'm, and I'm, I'm very interested to hear your perspective out there campaigning because the message that you have is a progressive one and it's the one that usually gets, as we've heard from a few speakers already, um, I don't want to say looked down upon, but like <laughs> looked, at, looked at less seriously. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel kind of bad cursing with a very nice, you know, respectable candidate, but that's bullshit. And now we know quantifiably that it's bullshit because the biggest uh, pushback usually, and I'm sure you've probably gotten this on the campaign, not realistic, Amy. You're not going to be able to get this kind of stuff done, right? That's what everybody says. Recent article that I shared with you in preparation for this. Um, it's not an article. It was actually a, from two researchers at Stanford and Northwest, uh, Northwestern teamed up to find out how Americans really feel versus the perception of their representatives of how they feel. They found a spread of 20 percentage points, uh, which is to say, in the simplest way, without getting too deep into the um, cross tabs and things like that, uh, basically, our, our representatives think we are 20% more conservative than we actually are. And that's across all districts, across all levels of government, and across uh, all issues. Uh, in, in some cases, up to 35%. They think that uh, if you ask your typical uh, you know, congressman, if you ask your, your, your typical you know, local representative, they are going to think that you have a certain position on, uh, on, 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 Medic on Medicaid for All, Medicare for All, for instance, that you probably don't have. You probably feel more progressive on the issue. And these are from people who identify as Republican. This is from people who identify as, as Democrat, as Independent. It's across the board. The country is more progressive than the people representing us think that we are. So I, I don't know. I would love to hear your thoughts on you know people that 
kind of share that if, if you run up against people who um, share that misperception in your campaign? Yes, it's unfortunate, but um, I feel like a lot of politicians are out of touch with the people for a number of reasons. They're not in their communities and listening. They're listening to their donors. And the, and the media has, has played a huge part in this. You know, when you are motivated by, mo by money and by profit, you know, that skews your power. perception in power. You know, if they would get out there and talk to the people, they would know that the progressive agenda actually has a wide, like, range of uh, support. I speak to people all over the spectrum from, and, and politically. You know, I've had at all my rallies that I've held for healthcare, for instance, um, I've had very um, establishment type organizations all the way up to Green Party and beyond talking about the issues. In America, we've got to get past talking about all the rhetoric about the parties because that is not what the American people are really interested in. I am really running an, a, a, an issue-based candidacy that's going to be talking about the issues because that is what unites us. You know, and I can tell you that even within our own party, that's where we need to be going in the Democratic Party. You know, my candidacy will be able to really cross those lines. I've been able to successfully cross those lines on the issues many times. And they need to have someone out there that is really motivated and really igniting the, 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 the voting base. Otherwise, we're going to have some catastrophic, you know, results in this next election. People are tired of status quo, they're sick of it, and they want change. And they're more awoke than they've ever been. It's just the politicians haven't caught up, and they're listening to, you know, <laughs> the people in the background saying, oh, no, this is what's going on, this is what we should be doing, instead of listening to their actual constituents and the people in their district. Many of them won't even hold a town hall anymore because they don't want to hear the, the <laughs> blowback. They're terrified of it. Exactly. <laughs> um, so... We were lucky enough to get Amy to, to, to chip in on a, uh, on a great, um, I think, could be very productive game that we're going to, uh, to take part in right now. Uh, it's called the Do's and Don'ts of Activism. So we're going to play this game. It's called the Do's and Don'ts of Activism. It's, it's, uh, there's great ways to become active in your, uh, in, in your political process, and there's ways that, that, that aren't so great. So we're just going to trade off, um, you know, reading some of these uh, best practices or maybe not best practices. Amy, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So you need to find a candidate who is passionate about the same issues you are and volunteer your time to support their candidacy. That sounds, That's a good do. That sounds Anytime. like it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, find a candidate who is on the opposite side of the issues and harass them on Twitter while you watch Netflix. Yeah, that's a, that's a don't. <laughs> I, I don't think that would work very well. What's your next um, one? Go to your local Democratic Party office and offer to chair a caucus or club. Or you can go to amyforthepeople.com and volunteer there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Um, another one is uh, you can go to your local Republican Party office and let the air out of their tires in the parking lot. That's good, too. <laughs> Are you guys sure? Yeah, I think we might have mixed these cards up, right? I think that might be it, too. Um, okay, Amy, what's yours? Make it clear to your candidates that your vote is reserved for the person whose position, not identity, best embodies your stance. Dave, I think you have another good one. Uh, yeah. Um, bet your vote on a game of billiards and lose. That's, that's good, too. <laughs> it could work, I think. Amy, your turn. 
Get your family and friends involved in the issues important to you, using yourself and their relationship with you as their entry port for caring about the issue. Uh, and mine is block everyone on face on your Facebook feed who has the same last name as you and is over the age of 55. I love that one. That's that's a really smart one. <laughs> Again, that's a don't. In some cases, Amy. Okay. Attend the Women's March next week. Whether Women's March next week, everybody. Yes. Woo! Whether you're a man or a woman, and let your uh, let our elected representatives hear your voice, and also. I will be there, and the candidates as well, so make sure you look for us. And What's your alternative? And guys, this is a don't. <laughs> don't attend the Women's March next week and walk around calling the marchers sweeties and telling them that they'd oh, be no. a lot prettier if they smiled more. <laughs> Are you sure about that? <laughs> yeah. I think <laughs> <laughs> Amy, I think we got one more. Yeah. If you can make a difference, and you can, and you have a passion to make a difference, file the papers, and run for office. That is a great Amen. One. Dave, I think you got one more to end us. Uh, another done, don't. Okay, uh, yeah. Do nothing for the next year. And then on November 6th, lie on your couch crying when Nevada elects Governor Yosemite Sam. <laughs> Everybody, how about a round of applause for Amy Valilla. Thank you. Amy, you want to say the website one more time? It's Amy, the number four. ThePeople.com. Slash <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Our next guest, guest number three, we're tearing through this awesome, like I said before, a cavalcade of all-stars. Next up, uh, this individual is a Las Vegas native who works in information technology, uh, and he's running for Congress in Nevada's 3rd District. After an academic and professional career spent in Nevada and Florida, he's aiming to bring a progressive voice to Washington on behalf of the people of the state. Everybody. Round of applause, please, for Michael Weiss. Thanks for coming. So I, I loved it researching you because I found that you uh, you spent a lot of time in my neck of the woods. You're in yes, I did. I know Bird Road very well. Okay, good. See, I, somebody knows. Don't you mean Bird City? Nope. nope. Bird, <laughs> I know Bird Road and Red Road, and I... Um, I have some fond memories of some of the accidents that occurred oh, yeah. on uh, Bird Road and uh, US-1, which is right next to uh, uh, University of Miami. One of the most treacherous stri uh, stretches of road anywhere. Yeah, if you can get across that, uh, that crosswalk, you deserve a degree right then and there. <laughs> so our sort of icebreaker so far with everybody has been about like how you became politically engaged. For, for, for you, what was it? Well, I was actually talking with my uh, girlfriend, uh, Michelle, in terms of uh, when exactly did uh, my uh, my desire to be an activist and politically involved uh, start, and um, I think it actually started uh, from uh, being bullied as a child. Um, uh, I have uh, Asperger syndrome. Um, I was not diagnosed until uh, uh, adulthood, but as a kid, I was different. I was very different. Um, I was sh shorter than most of the other boys. I had some different uh, mannerisms, ways of walking. Uh, I was very professorial when I talked. And um, this resulted in a lot of uh, harassment, teasing, bullying. And um, that was like my first exposure fairly consistently for uh, how people are uh, treated differently. People who are not in the uh, majority can be treated harshly. And um, subsequently, I think part of that in terms of uh, trying to understand why uh, 
didn't always um, fit in, I started so studying uh, sociology. That's what I got my uh, first bachelor's degree in. And um, sociology can be a very depressing subject for anybody who's taken a course in sociology or well, anything social to do with people can be yeah, depressing. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you and I learned uh, very quickly, you know, that wow, uh, the world is really not a lot of gum, uh, all about uh, gumdrops and lollipops, and. Um, a lot of you know people from different groups, whether it's different you know racial groups, ethnic groups, people with disabilities, are just you know go through hell just for being different than those that are in power. And um, so I got my degree in sociology, and then I got uh, my master's degree in sociology at the University of Miami. And um, go Canes! Yes. <laughs> Woo! No, no other Canes here, really. <laughs> Which um, I was actually in Miami during the year of a, what I sometimes call the year of a million hurricanes, the year where they ran out of um, uh, letters and they had and, to yeah, go exactly. to like Hurricane Alpha and Beta <laughs> and, and, and all that. Um, it would be 2005, I think. Two, yeah. Was it 2005? I, I think so, yeah. Uh, I think okay. it would have been 2005. That was the same year as um, as Katrina. That was the same year yeah, as Katrina. Katrina, Rita, Wilma, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was Will a bad was the year. one that hit Florida really hard that year, I think. That's right. And yeah, yeah it was, it was a, a tough year. I mean, the year that we just had was 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 tough, yeah. but I mean nothing compared to that. I mean, delayed the start of our podcast. Actually. It did actually <laughs> delay. We were supposed to launch in August, and, oh, and yeah, so we're only fifteen episodes in now. But uh, <laughs> download, yeah. So from from there, um, you were in two thousand eight working for the Obama campaign, uh, volunteering for the Obama uh, Obama campaign. Yep. And just again, you, like you said uh, last year. You uh, were a, uh, a a Bernie Sanders supporter. I view that as a bit of a um, evolution in some ways. How did you evolve? Sure. Well, I, I've always been politically conscious to some extent. Um, you know, I would watch you know political debates as a kid and all that. And uh, I've, you know, when I was eighteen, voted for Gore. When I was um, uh, then two thousand four, two thousand four, voted for Kerry and all that. In two thousand eight, Obama just was for me very inspiring. You know, I remember seeing speeches of his and. You know, I, I had assumed that you know I, Hillary was going to get the nomination. You know, didn't really get much involved. And then I saw Obama. Was like, yeah, I, I kind of like this guy. So I went to a, you know volunteer office and I did some data entry, a couple phone calls for him, and it was lots of fun. I met some really great people. And then in 2016, I I saw Bernie Sanders on television, and no other politician, not Obama, not anybody else, was that inspiring to me, and felt like I got to get this guy elected I got to help get this guy elected do whatever I can because a lot of the stuff that Bernie had talked about in terms of uh, issues related to health care and education and money and politics and corruption I had cognizance of it I knew about it but he was the first one that put it together like so eloquently and easy to understand and straightforward and honest and genuine and so I was like I got to help get this guy elected. So I went to uh, the local uh, office here in uh, Las Vegas, and I said, uh, I'd like to volunteer. And uh, they said, oh, uh, what precinct are you in? I, I knew what it was, and I gave them the number, and they said, oh, we need a captain for that precinct. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Let's <laughs> do it. So, so then <laughs> I find myself a precinct captain and then a uh, later a county delegate and a state delegate. And um, <laughs> it was during – the state convention. Yeah, that's a real baptism of fire you went through. <laughs> Where it all clicked to me just 
how corrupt things are. Like, you know, I had heard about it, read about it and all that, but now witnessed it. And then that horrible, horrible lie that came out of that, that there were chairs thrown. I was there. I was there. I, I was, was there. all around there. there. There were no chairs. Let me give no a little chairs. context a context for some of our uh, yeah. some of our out of state uh, listeners who uh, maybe only passing familiarity with with Nevada politics and the uh, everything that goes into it. Uh, Nevada is the state that caucuses. Um, their caucus is special because they require you to basically um, like recreate the movie Marathon Man. Like you have to. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's one of the most grueling, arduous. Uh, uh, God, days, weeks of, of, of campaign, not even campaigning, just yeah. supporting that you have to go through. And it is uh, from the outside or from an insurgent candidate or somebody like from somebody who's a supporter of Bernie Sanders, uh, you could very look very easily look at it and see it as almost like a, a purposeful war of attrition, like yes. wear them down kind yeah. of thing. It's like, you know, trying to pull, you know, survival of the fittest thing. But, they, but we didn't leave. We stood there, you know, there, there were some people that, you know, had to be, you know, taken out, you know, um, you know, in cuffs, you know, with out there because, you know, they were standing their ground and, you know, uh, sp and speaking out and demanding, you know, that their voices be heard, you know, and uh, and, and thank goodness for that. But it, w it was it was a total mess. And after that, you know, and seeing seeing, you know, this progress in terms of like what the establishment is doing and what they have done. And then the result of the 2016 election. And you know, afterwards, after Trump won, I decided I got to do something because you know what I've done so far, you know, with my act, with you know, activism and volunteering and all that. Yeah, it's helped. It's been good. But there's something more that I that I need to be doing. And after you know several months of debate and you know with uh, myself and talking with my family and my girlfriend and all that. I decided I, this is this is it. This is going to be the year I run, and part of the reason I decided was to do it this year was in 2016. I think a lot of the stuff that we thought was true about politics in terms of who could run, who could win, money, you know, all that stuff. I think it went completely out the window. It was an eye opener that year <laughs> for sure for a lot of people. So I do truly believe that if 2018, it, that if there's going to be a year of the outsider, it's going to be 2018. Yeah, that's a really great point. You bring that up, and you have that on your website because I'm a good journalist. <laughs> I did my research before coming here, and I read every one of our, you know, our, our, our folks' uh, public positions on everything uh, to vet them. But yeah, you brought up that that term that I that I that I that I wrote down, which is a non-traditional candidate. And I remember people using the more sexy term of like insurgent candidate. Uh, how is this midterm? What is what is that candidate apart from obviously you? Right. And how is this midterm election going to be different? than the ones in the past, in, in your opinion? Well, a, a non-traditional candidate, my, my definition of it, is and it, it can be on either side, left or right. First off, it's somebody that is uh, willing to talk about issues that are not being talked about by mainstream politicians, not being talked about by the establishment, um, are willing to be truthful and honest about things that are uh, going on, are willing to promote positions that may be, con that may be controversial or... Um, outside of the mainstream. The other thing um, is I'm seeing that these non-traditional candidates, and I'm including myself, are also saying no to super PACs, to corporations, to special interests, and like myself, are only taking donations from individuals. Because I think part of what Bernie brought to the forefront is just how corrupting money can be. I mean, a lot of these uh, corporations, when they're donating to uh, political candidates, 
they're expecting something in return. And in many ways, they got it with the GOP tax scam that just got passed. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, and I might be wrong, and I hate, I'm a stickler for detail, so I don't want to be wrong. Everybody's welcome to look this stat up on their own, but uh, I remember, I think at the, the 2012 election, there was a stat that was going around. Uh, it was around the time of Citizens United, and it had to do with your investment, right? If you invest in the stock market 30 years ago, what does it get you? If you invested in, a, you, know, a, a, you know, mutual funds, if you invested in a moderately aggressive portfolio, if you are a corporation and you invest a dollar in lobbying, you basically get about three, and again, Fact check me, please. But you get about $300 in return for every dollar of lobbying that you spend. Yeah. And that's, you know, the sad state of what our system has become. And, you know, since, uh, you know, uh, the Buckley decision back in the 70s, that, you know, opened, you know, the, you know, opened the cracks. And then Citizens United just blew everything, you know, uh, completely out. So we're lucky to have Michael, uh, again, play a game with us. Okay. We're going to do a little game. Um, and... Uh, this one is called Miami or Vegas, and you are uniquely uh, perched to be able to play this game with us. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to read um, a, a news story, wiped of details, um, so that uh, you know you won't be able to identify whether it's Miami or in Las Vegas, but it's one of the two, and you're going to have to guess which crazy, wild ass part of the country it's from. And we are allowed to say that because these are our two homes. Bird Road, of course, is a two home podcast. Miami, Las Vegas, and they're more unique All than right. you would think and weirder than you would think. They're both strange places. Are you ready? Yes, and I'm going to be really, really embarrassed if I mess this up. <laughs> <laughs> There's no wrong answer. Okay. So this first story, this first story is from March 8th. A 28-year-old defense attorney was delivering his closing arguments in front of a jury when his pants spontaneously caught on fire. The lawyer, who was arguing beha on behalf of a client accused of arson, had been fiddling in his pocket as he was about to address jurors when the smoke began billowing out of his right pocket, witnesses said. Miami or Las Vegas? Miami. Correct. Woo! <laughs> one for one. Good with a job. with a bird road shirt on the uh, uh, on the um, on the offing, you know, that's 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 at stake right now. <laughs> Story number two. A man a, a man is accused of putting a police dog in a chokehold and a lot of arson in this one. And setting a fire uh, in a building near downtown, police documents show. The 38-year-old was arrested this week on suspicion of first-degree arson, burglary, and mistreatment of a police animal in a Sunday break-in at the business. There, he put Bear, a police dog, in a chokehold with one arm and held a metal flagpole against Bear's throat with his other arm, the arrest report said. And I got this one just to get Dave and Gina mad because they're going to probably... I'm pissed. Uh, yeah, right they're going to they're gonna rally to have this person uh, put to death. Um, Miami or Las Vegas? Vegas. Vegas, correct. Two for two. For two. <laughs> Guys, I promise we are not cheating. We're not giving anybody these answers. Before. This city. Okay, third story. Right. Strange-looking blue smoke was filmed over the airport and got UFO hunters talking when photos of the bizarre site emerged. But there's an explanation for the hovering light. In a video posted on YouTube, the trailing blue smoke is seen flying over the airport runway as a man is heard saying, uh, shouting, Check that out. Whoa, it's going to hit the plane. Social media users called the object a UFO meteor or a comet burning up in the atmosphere. It turns out that the mystery shape was caused by an Atlas V rocket. Miami or Las Vegas? Vegas. Wrong. It's a trick question. Trick question because obviously my Las Vegas would be the UFO uh, hub. 
That's what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe it would be easier to see it clearly, you know, over the over McCarran than it would be over MIA. This particular rocket was launched from Cape Canaveral. So, <laughs> <laughs> and and our final one. Right. Now remember, I'm trying to trick you a little bit here. Okay. So. One of six pink crocodile sculptures that surround a golden lion on a busy median have gone missing. The missing sculpture was located on a main thoroughfare at a busy intersection and is part of a county-funded program in which art is placed in the roads. County officials are unsure what happened to the pink metal reptile recreation. Quote, I don't know if somebody stole it, drove up and hit it, or potentially destroyed it, or what may have happened, a county spokesperson said. Miami or Las Vegas? Vegas. Correct. All right. I, I remember that one. I remember that happening. All right, so everybody, again, g give us your website. Uh, oh, can I plug my uh, event really quick? Please plug your sure. event. That's Absolutely. right. Well, he's going. Uh, Michael's going to be speaking at a, at a at a very compelling event coming up soon. Let's yes, hear I'm about just it. Pulling this out here because I don't want to. Okay, on Saturday, February seventeenth, between noon and five p.m., I'm going to be speaking at the stop. The Bullying Barbecue, which is sponsored by the People's Autism Foundation. It is going to be in Paradise at Paradise Park, uh, which is on McLeod Drive in Las Vegas. And uh, I'm going to be speaking. There's going to be music. Uh, some uh, several sponsors come out here. Some really awesome people, and it's for a really good cause. So I hope you'll join me um, and and the others. And uh, you can learn more about me on WeissForNevada.com. That's W-E-I-S-S. F O R N E V A D A dot com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter at Weiss for Nevada. Everybody, thank how about a round of applause for Michael Weiss? Michael, thank you for thank having you. me. Thank you for being here. All right, everybody. Our next guest in the cavalcade of incredible speakers and great progressive thinkers and progressive uh, idealists who, God, it feels so good to actually talk to people who um, aren't cardboard cutouts. <laughs> that have been trained to look like politicians. Um, <laughs> our next guest, uh, he's running for Congress in Nevada's first di district. He's an educator, a Marine, a veteran, a Rancho High grad, a, re a rebel, and a Yale alum. And he's looking to bring the right kind of change to our government. Everybody, join me in a round of applause for Ruben De Silva. Ruben. So let's let's jump into our our, our standard first first question here. Um, good. You know how uh, how exactly did you become engaged and uh, find yourself in the position you're in, freezing outside, <laughs> oh, talking no, to you. podcasters? Oh, I'll tell you something. And I'm a skinny guy, all right. I don't have too much body uh, weight on me or fat. Wait, what are you like, trying to say, I'm Ruben? Really, what are you trying to I'm say? I'm really man? Come freezing on. my booty off. That's what I'm saying. It We're is sweating over here. <laughs> but uh, it's it's great to be here, and that's a very important question. I think that you've asked. Like, what is What is uh, What's the motivating factor oftentimes for people to do something as crazy as first and foremost get involved in politics uh, and secondly uh, run for office? Uh, I'll say one thing, you know, uh, growing up uh, I was uh, interested in history, interested in politics, culture, these sort of uh, conversations. My dad was somebody who always, uh, you know, uh, wanted to discuss politics and have CNN headline news on and uh, so on and so forth. But it, was, it wasn't something that really motivated me. I, you know, I know about the issues, but getting uh, involved myself uh, was something that I never thought I would ever do. Uh, I really became uh, very much interested in politics with the uh, 2008 campaign. I was a big supporter of a uh, uh, president who, who now is uh, is a former president, Barack Obama, and uh, he just inspired me. And I'll be real, uh, being a person of color and seeing somebody like President uh, Obama running for office at that time was something tremendously inspiring. 
And uh, I was uh, head over heels, like in love with the whole movement, the fact that he was a grassroots guy uh, at that time. And uh, it really got me interested in electoral politics. So I just became uh, like a big uh, political nerd, was watching the news every day, uh, and uh, really became interested in the idea of politics. And when I came back to Las Vegas, uh, at the time I was actually uh, at Balboa Navy Hospital. I, I, I served in the Marine Corps and was injured in the, in the war. And uh, was, uh, again, keeping up with the, with, the, uh, with the news. I came back. Uh, my brother was a precinct captain for the Ruben Obama was, campaign. Just so, just so <laughs> we know, Ruben was shot, okay? And he uh, is, you have a purple heart for yes, your yes, service. An incredible, mm-hmm. an incredible American who, by the way, we'll get to this, but lived in the shadows for a very long mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Um, as an undocumented immigrant, well, along with your family. But I'm sorry, finish your thoughts. Oh, no, yeah. So uh, that's uh, when I really became involved in politics, and I've been involved ever since. You know, I stay up, I vote in every uh, election. Again, being an uh, immigrant, I wasn't able to uh, participate in, uh, in any sort of uh, voting for the longest, and uh, it was really an honor to receive my citizenship uh, in, the, uh, in 2007, November of 2007, and, and, and for me to be able to cast my first vote uh, for President uh, Barack Obama in uh, 2008, and I participated in that election for the first time, and uh, again, it's something I take very seriously to this day. So... W- w- you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. You are on the front lines of education. In mm-hmm. in uh, frankly, I know how it is to like not want to you know talk badly about your employer, but it, it there's a lot of room for improvement in education oh, in yeah, Nevada. Yeah. Um, what? Where's the disconnection? I mean, mm-hmm. I see things like and again from three thousand miles away in Miami. I, I rely on my, my my co-host here to and and his wonderful beautiful uh, girlfriend who's our also our staff photographer tonight. Um, to, to keep me up to date on these issues and my, my understanding what uh, you know as somebody who's a proponent of mm. the tax revenue that can come from marijuana legislation oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am always looking at schools as like you know a, a, a thing that uh, you know an institution that can benefit from something like that and my understanding is that that did not work out that way in this mm. state uh, talk me through that and where, where, where as an educator do you fall in that sort of spectrum of ideas of how to improve mm-hmm. uh, the school system. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this, you know, whenever I look at education, it's something that's uh, deeply intimate to me because I am a school teacher. My mom is a uh, Clark County school teacher as well. She teaches elementary school. And uh, when I approach this, uh, this topic, it's really through the, uh, the, the purview of somebody who's right there in the thick of it every day. And I try to actually stay away from some of the policy uh, you know, an, an analysis that's taking place at the higher level, it's a bird's eye thing, and, uh, because it's something that is very upfront, if you ask me personally. You know, we need to spend more money on uh, our educational endeavors in this state. That is, that is for sure. We're one of the least funded in the entire country, and I see that on a daily basis. Uh, today I had actually some members of the Rights Society uh, come by my, uh, my class after school today to talk to the Hispanic Student Union about getting the kids involved in uh, the Women's March. And uh, they came in, it was right after my sixth period class, and the place is a mess. And uh, this is because during the entire the, the school day, I've ha- I have a classroom now that's really built for about 30 kids. I'm uh, hosting 48 students, 46 students. Unbelievable. All right. So it is a perennial issue in this uh, state, first and foremost, uh, with uh, overcrowded classrooms. And the way to negate that is really by building more schools or uh, having some sort of, uh, you know, uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think portable is the right answer, but having space for these students. It's very difficult for teachers to uh, work in those sort of environments and to, and to uh, uh, pour forth an adequate education. So that's one thing that we can, we can work on. It's going to cost millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, but it's something we have to invest it's, in. It's an incredible point that you point, that, mm-hmm. that, that, you, that you come to, and um, specifically for those who identify on the left, look, this is an enormous, mm-hmm. an enormous point, and I think that you really typify it well. It, 
we can make politics be about a lot of different things. It can be about branding. It can be about being swept up with a candidate like Obama, oh, yeah. like many yeah. of us were. Mm. And, uh, you know, s similarly with other candidates, it can be about seeing yourself in another person. It can be about all these warm and fuzzy things. At the end of the day, politics is about a contest of resources. Mm -hmm. It's That's about what cool. do you value and what are you going to put behind that mm -hmm. and education has to be one of the top oh priorities. yeah that's very true and another issue we're having here is just the uh the fact that so many teachers just get cycled through and this is because of the difficult work environment you know i'll be real you know i you know it's public information i make forty-seven thousand dollars a year as a teacher with two master's degrees brag <laughs> that's all that i make you know you look at other states teachers are well paid they're better they have strong uh, great benefits so on and so forth and the one uh, issue that i really have with this is the fact that i've been making this same salary for the last five years you know, you know, we're talking about half a decade. So the fact that I, as a teacher, haven't seen a raise is, is, a, is a problem. And this is what causes a lot of uh, teachers who are educated, by the way. Every teacher has to have a college degree. There's all kinds of other careers that beckon them. Yeah. This isn't degrees. Florida, guys. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> so, uh, again, uh, that's something we have to look at, you know, raising uh, the salaries for teachers who are, who are off. I mean, I'm, I'm tempted oftentimes. You know, I, I get a great offer from a, you know, a private firm or a private company to say, hey, come work with us. You know, you're great. You're an Ivy League educated guy. You have a Purple Heart, or, uh, you know, you're a war hero. All this stuff they'll say to me, come work, come work PR for us or come work as a lobbyist or something like that. But, and there's, an, and there's a lot of people, for, you know, for economic reasons who will do that. You know, I, I see teaching as a vocation. I've committed myself to public education and see myself uh, building a career in public education. But on the same token, if you don't, if you don't uh, treat our teachers right, if we don't, uh, uh, you know, pay them properly, if we don't have adequate uh, work environments around them, then we're going to have this constant issue of teachers coming in very passionate, very driven, and then uh, getting their souls crushed, getting their dreams killed, and then moving on. And we know that this sort of cycling of teachers, you know, doesn't create that long-standing career-based teacher who now has 10 years of experience, 15 years of experience, who knows the school district, who knows the environment that they're working in, and well, can then be a much uh, stronger and a, and a more uh, powerful educator. We, that's a, that is the problem that we are seeing in our school district. And it's all, it all comes down to, again, uh, spending uh, the proper resources in our public educational settings. Yeah, and what's more important than having great teachers mm -hmm. that are, you know, happy and continuing to grow in their field? Oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's so important, and it's something that seems to yeah, be... Yeah, I know the average teacher nationally now spends about three years in the career, maybe five, there's some estimates that say that, but then, and then they move on into, into other career fields. And this is because, again, of the, uh, the lack of pay, the difficult work environments, the, uh, and the benefits that we've seen... Uh, you know, curtailed over the last uh, 20 years, you know. Well, I'm a, I'm a full uh, K through college product mm -hmm. of public education. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you, there's actually a friend of mine somewhere in the audience who, who went to UNLV Business School with me. I don't know where he is right now. Um, but uh, there's, how do I put this? And I want to hear what you have to say about mm -hmm. this. There's a, a, almost a wheat thrasher mentality of the way that humans mm -hmm. are educated in, 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 in Las Vegas. And again, I, I attend a college here. And the story that I always recount to people is that, um, you know, a lot of the faculty was adjunct and they were working on the strip. You oh, know, yeah, they, yeah, they were. Yeah. And uh, <coughs> what would happen is uh, they would identify you. And if you're a pretty promising young kid and if you seem to be like, you know, have a little bit of flex to your game and you were smart, you're a good communicator, had good soft skills, things like that. Hey, why don't you come work, come work over at uh, come work over at Bellagio. Just, you oh, know, yeah. go take your course load down to six, six credit hours part time and come on over and of course that's not what happens because you're mm -hmm. working in a career at that point mm -hmm. and you drop out of college and at that point they've got you locked in at $35,000 a year without a college education and they've got you there and it always kind of made me feel it was flattering on one hand to have professors come to me like that but uh, you know if you saw what, what it was actually happening it, it was very much like your human capital just being mm -hmm. kind of taken and 
put. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, I used the word before, but commoditized. Mm -hmm. And you were just this, you know, you're just hands to do a job. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that there's a, a strong um, strain of that in the, in the education system here and in Miami, too, by the way. It's, mm -hmm. no, it's no different there. Mm -hmm. But w what do you think? I think that no, that's absolutely true. You know, if you look at it, and again, this is a, you, you, the broad economy of this uh, state is really driven by tourism, driven by, uh, again, arenas that don't require college education. So you can make a lot of money and have a decent lifestyle but not be educated and not have to pursue a college education. And uh, I, as an educator, as somebody who took, uh, as an immigrant, you know, who, whose dad always said, you, we came to America, you know, so you can get your education and then work hard and make something of yourself. You know, something that was driven into me. And, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why, in the end, we don't see, we, we don't see uh, a, uh, an engaged citizenry. You know, one thing I know that what uh, uh, an education uh, does is it gets you engaged because you start looking at, at a very young age now, at the, at the uh, situations around you. I think that uh, for other, other folks, maybe you have to wait a little bit. You know, they start seeing how the, the policy starts affecting their financial situation, so on and so forth, and then they get involved. But, uh, you know, we, we push these things in, uh, in, in college, you know, about uh, you know, taking part in local government, school government, so on and so forth. And this, again, promotes a sense of civic engagement. And, uh, again, uh, then you inject yourself in some... It's a sense of place. It's a sense you of place. In places like California, New York, Pennsylvania, I was lucky Georgia. enough to be a product of a K-8 New York public school education. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was incredible. I can't, yeah. I can't hold a candle to it. It was, yeah. It's great. Yeah, and, and those colleges and that, and that higher education uh, uh, system really serve as the base for the economy. So you're training people not just for service sector uh, jobs, uh, but you have opportunities to now get people who are interested in a, a vast variety of other uh, disciplines and, and, uh, and endeavors. And then they will be that impetus then for the economy to get out there, start a business, start a tech firm, start a, uh, uh, open up a restaurant, uh, get, uh, uh, open up a, a nonprofit, an academy, you know. Uh, so it, it's a multiplier effect. And the root of all of this is, is education. You know, once you get, I mean, I don't want to get all Aristotle on you or Plato or whatnot, but education no, no, is, no, is the impetus <laughs> for the economy. If you don't have a strong educational uh, compound in any sort of economic endeavor, you're not going to have a thriving economy. So I'm, and that's really my take on it. And I'm, you know, uh, very much focused on uh, things like free college, uh, uh, a, uh, you know, uh, federal laws that mandate uh, pre, uh, uh, universal pre-K. Uh, things like this that again will help build that educational foundation which we know over the course of uh, maybe not even in uh, the next decade but over the next 20, 30, 40 years will make our economy even more thriving and even more robust and powerful. So you're getting into the planks of your platform which is yeah. great because my next question for you is in this election you're mm -hmm. taking on if there was a uh, if there was an ivory tower establishment if there was a if there was a Hillary Clinton of Nevada <laughs> Uh, if there was somebody with all the resources in the world and mm -hmm. somebody who is pretty much an established power here, mm -hmm. it's the person that you're taking on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, tell me about the wedge issues between you and Dina Titus. Yeah. Where are you different? Yeah. I think that the greatest difference is this. You know, Dina Titus is the, is the incumbent. She's a Democratic congresswoman. I mean, I think a real figurehead of the establishment. Uh, she's been in politics. This is her fourth decade in politics now. And like you're right, I think the Hillary Clinton example here is excellent. You know, so you have folks who've, who've served the party well, who've served this uh, community well, but there comes a moment in time where they become a status quo and that there's a, there needs to be a fundamental change in orientation, in direction. And even the, uh, in terms of the representatives, we're not going to voice the, 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 the people's concerns. If you look at this district, this is a district that does not uh, suit Dina Titus very well. This is a district, again, that's, uh, that's minority majority. This is a district that's very working class. Dina Titus is a millionaire. You know, one of those millionaires we talk about that Congress is full of that we've got to get rid of. Uh, and again, uh, I think that, uh, that these sort of uh, 
issues that would separate us? Who can be a better voice for the people? Who could be somebody who can understand what's, what, an in, what somebody's going through? You know, they say that Dina Titus is a great champion of veterans, but I'm a veteran who's had his uh, compensation taken away, who served in war, who uh, knows that feeling of being separated and uh, maybe having some issues that you're dealing with when you come back. Who better to represent veterans? Who better to represent teachers than an educator who's still in the classrooms on a daily basis? Who's better to represent immigrants than somebody who was an undocumented immigrant in this country and knows that feeling of uh, having a letter come in the mail saying, hey, your mama might be deported because we're looking at this uh, situation here and we know that she doesn't have uh, do uh, documents and you have to go through the whole uh, recourse to, to try to keep her here so your family's getting ripped apart. Who better to represent immigrants than an immigrant? Uh, so these are the sort of things that I, uh, that I uh, look at as being the, the great wedge issues. And one of the fundamental problems with the Democratic Party today is that we elect people who are not really rooted in the realities of the folks they're supposed to represent. If you want to have a strong progressive movement, you've got to bring in uh, uh, office holders now who could be true voices for the people. People like Ruben De Silva, people like you know, Amy Villela's <laughs> in the building over here, you know, uh, who are not a part of that establishment and who look at the issues from the, from the real sensibilities of a regular working class uh, person and not somebody who's been in politics for 40 years or has made a career really uh, in, in the political environment. And that's really going to be the great question we have to ask ourselves as not just uh, uh, Democrats, but as progressives. Who are going to be the voices for these issues? Who can serve as weapons against this, this real this, uh, milieu that's growing on the other side? You know, they often talk about uh, folks like my, you know, Democrats and progressives as not loving this country. But what if you put somebody who's a Purple Heart recipient who took a bullet for this country before he was even a citizen, all right? And, and, and they, you know, I'll be damned if Donald Trump tells me I don't love this country. Did he take a bullet for this country? Did any of those, uh, Paul Ryan, any of them, you know, bleed for this nation? I bled for this nation. I love this country. And uh, that's the sort of voice I'll be for the Democratic Party in Washington, D.C., for sure. And that's something that Dina Titus just can't do. And I know that I'll be able to uh, be a weapon in ways that Dina Titus cannot. Uh, last question: How are the Lady Rams doing this year? <laughs> they're doing they're doing well. Uh, I'm act I coached the girls basketball there uh, for four years. I took a break this year because I'm running for Congress. Well, good because <laughs> I was going to ask. That's a lot to take on, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm still working as a full time teacher. You know, I have a mortgage. I have bills to pay. I wish I could take uh, time off. Uh, but again, and this, on the same token, that goes back to that sense of being rooted. You know, I'm, I'm still a working American. You know, Adina Titus is a congresswoman, been a congresswoman. I don't think she's had a real job outside of politics for. A long time now, at least 10 years, maybe even more than that. But again, it's important to uh, realize that there's uh, working Americans, too, that want to have a voice, that want to participate in government. And it's important for us to uh, look at these sort of individuals and put them uh, into those uh, offices, whether it's the Assembly, whether it's City Council, whether it's the State Senate, whether it's the U.S. Congress. Because, again, we serve as much more adequate and uh, much more intimate voices for the people of this country. Everybody, how about a round of applause for Ruben? Ruben De Silva, right. what's your Thank website? You. Oh, my website is uh, www.desilva4congress. Not the letter 4, it's actually spelled F-O-R, 4 Congress. Uh, please visit the site. My entire platform is laid out there. And uh, if you can make a donation, please do. Again, we are also uh, totally driven by small individual contributions. And uh, we want to keep it that way to keep the big influences uh, uh, away from our, our campaign and my, and my candidacy. I'll make sure that we um, obscure our huge donation to you <laughs> in small <laughs> offshore accounts so it looks like $27 a piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you again, you guys, for having me. Thank you so show. much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. David, thank you, brother. Thank you. So, guys, we're getting to our last guest of the night. Um, our final guest was a late addition. Uh, we were originally just going to have four candidates. Uh, we, were, we were lucky enough to have this, this, this person pop onto our radar just last night and, uh, and, and, and throw his hat into the ring. Um, so our last guest tonight uh, is 
somebody who represents North Las Vegas. Uh, he is on our panel, at least, representing North Las Vegas. He was a one-time candidate for Ward 1 in the city. He was an organizer for Bernie Sanders in 2016. Uh, everybody, let's have a round of applause for Hector Rivera. Hector. Thank you for braving and continuing to brave this freezing. Uh, you just wore him. Oh, God. I should have smart well, dressed like that, actually. Well, yeah, I'm sorry for distracting you walking back and forth. I was just trying to stay warm. No, I don't blame you. <laughs> you are a trooper. You've hung in strong. Thank you. Um, and thank you for doing that. And thank you for, for, for offering to come and, and, and talk tonight. Uh, don't mind at all extending a extending the, the the show length a little bit to be able to get you up on stage appreciate you thank you so much um so we've heard from a lot of people tonight who are sort of seeking um higher office they're seeking uh you know congressional seats they're they're, they're they're looking for jobs that will bring them to washington they're looking for jobs that will bring them to carson city um you choose to so far in your career focus in, in sort of a, a a local way why uh well i believe that uh politics are local um, you know, right now with this crazy man in the White House, you know, our well-being is hanging by a thin thread. But uh, when we speak to our days, day to day, you know, the people that decide where the stop signs go, they're here local. Uh, the people that make decisions for a school district, many of them are, 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 are live within our, our same neighborhoods. So I think that all, all, all politics, all organizing starts at the local level. Um, and just like, you know, you, you, you build a, a good economy from the ground up, you should have good elected officials from the ground up. Now, one, okay. one of the things specifically in North Las Vegas, but also in Clark County largely, that uh, people I think maybe know but don't really know is that this is one of the hubs of the booming influence of, 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 of uh, 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 the booming Hispanic influence in our country. Um, it's changed. I mean, the first time I came to Las Vegas was 1979. I was five months old. And there probably weren't that many other Puerto Ricans in there at the, in the county at the time. Um, now uh, it's, it's moving much more quickly uh, towards that uh, uh, majority-minority um, uh, status. I, in your community, talk to me about how your plat how, how what you try to do uh, addresses the experience of uh, the first and second generation, primarily Mexican-Americans, but uh, the undocumented, anybody who's, you know, uh, living in that experience? Well, um, it's, it's a very divisive uh, topic, but the fact is that most Americans want to see good people become members of our society and come out from behind the shadows. Um, you know, firstly, I think that, you know, um, people that come to this country, for the most part, are making a community stronger. If uh, there is somebody that came here as an immigrant that is doing negative things for society, we should find them. You know, if they're doing crime, they should face the consequences of that crime. Um, but when we look at the dreamers, when we look at people that are here uh, that don't have their paperwork straight, uh, most of the people just want to work full time. And they are truly uh, searching for the American dream. They want to be able to drive their children to school and not worry about getting stopped for a broken tail light or something silly and being uh, uh, you know, deported. Uh, right now in uh, New York, uh, there's uh, um, one of, uh, the, the, uh, there's this uh, activist that um, um, went in for uh, a quick checkup uh, with immigration. 
and they started, um, you know, asking him a, a, a whole lot of questions. And he uh, now uh, he fainted. They took him to the hospital, and from the hospital, they want to take him straight into the process of deportation. Um, I, I, I could, um, you know, I could post the specific names, but a New York City Council member, a member of the New York City Council, got arrested protesting this. Um, and, the fact of the matter is that we should be able to, uh, if you're an upstanding member of society and you faint and uh, you, or, or you're in some sort of, you know, uh, uh, distress of some distress kind. Of yeah. some, you should be able to call the police for help. You should be able to go to the hospital for help and not worry about repercussions of being stripped away from your family and taken perhaps into a country that you haven't been to for decades. I think this turn of phrase, living in the shadows, gets lost on people. that You don't realize how much you rely on society and the, the the social fabric for everything that you do to be able to not just enforce your things like you know your most basic rights like right to days off and right to weekends all the way to what you're talking about being able to take advantage of you know things like the police fire department and worrying everybody constantly. needs that stuff even the one percent everybody needs that stuff that's right and currently right here in nevada uh ice went into 7-elevens uh, and, and, and they pulled the, people yeah. away while they were working and, and, they, and they started the process of immigration. So these are people that just went into work. And, and you know, um, they're saying they're trying to crack down on the businesses, but it's not the businesses that get torn away from their families. It's the people that work in the businesses that are getting uh, uh, disenfranchised. Yeah, and it, it's, it's similar in, in Miami. A lot of our listenership, especially if they're over there listening on, on, on Facebook, know that it's, this, it, it's the same thing in Miami. Uh, we trended for the first time. Miami wasn't a designated sanctuary city, which I hate that phrase. I hate that word. But um, it was absolutely a place for the immigrant experience and all of its uh, tapestry to, to, to happen, right? Um, and that's changed in 2017. In 2017, there was more than one detention per day in, uh, in, in my city. And uh, I know you guys are struggling with a lot of the same things here. Um, what is also, by the way, I don't I, I don't want to let the opportunity go by without mentioning reinforcing this 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 idea. It's not an idea. It's statistically proven that uh, undocumented immigrants commit uh, crimes at far drastically lower rates than the rest of us do, and undocumented immigrants also contribute far more to our tax to our tax system then they draw out in terms of benefit. And that, those are two, I think, very, maybe on a specific spectrum of, of politics, very uh, misunderstood facts. But they are facts. They are facts. And oftentimes, I think something that gets overlooked is um, they work uh, long hours, and many times because the employer knows that uh, they could take advantage of this worker. They have that person work overtime without get, without them getting the the pay that they need. They have them work, um, you know, uh, hours that are just unfair, and they get taken advantage of because of their status. And uh, it's it's an uphill battle. But like you said, these people come here. They're not taking uh, the ability to work an honest living for granted. And most of the time, you're right. Uh, they do commit much less crime than the average American. So before you leave. Uh, we were honored to uh, have heard that there was something that you wanted to announce or something that you wanted to uh, tell everybody and, and, and the city and all of our watchers and listeners. Uh, Hector, I give the floor to you. What, you, have, you have an announcement, I understand. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, big announcement from um, uh, my side of things. Um, if, I, if I could just say a little bit about myself and then I'll just kind of like please ease do. into it. Thank please. you. Thank you. Thank you. It. Appreciate it. it. The floor I, is yours. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, um, I, I myself, I'm an immigrant. 
uh, to this country. Uh, I work. I grew up in a working class family uh, where uh, my parents uh, often focused on work. Uh, that being said, they always made sure that we did our homework. Um, that didn't stop me from getting in trouble, you know, K through 12. Um, right out of high school, um, I did not really have much direction. I started working in the fa in fast food industry and then uh, into restaurants and stuff like that. Um, and I worked side by side by some great people, some great people that often work 10 times, 10 hours a day, often two jobs, uh, over 50 hours a week sometimes. And for me to see these people working so hard, difficult jobs where they're working by a, a fryer or they have to clean a certain amount of rooms uh, per hour and, and, and it's physically exhausting. To see these people have to worry about it, worry about what they're gonna do when their child breaks their arm or what they're gonna do when their child asks them for, for um, you know, some new clothes or a new toy. To me, it's just ridiculous that these people work so hard and yet they have to live from paycheck to paycheck. And to me, that was always unfair. It's, to me, it's very simple. If you're willing to work full time, 30 to 40 hours a week, you should not worry about putting food on your table. You should not worry about having uh, a roof over your head. You should be able to enjoy the American dream because that's why we're here. Um, so after working, you know, not dead end jobs because every job is honorable, but after working these jobs that didn't give me the opportunity to think, I, I kind of focused and I worked my way through college. I eventually uh, got a degree and I was gonna get into teaching. You know, like so many great people out there that get into teaching and, and, and some of the people uh, that, that you've had on the show like Ruben and others. Um, but a friend of mine was working for this gentleman that was running for state senate and uh, he knew that I, I, I had, you know, uh, a very interesting uh, uh, skill set that I could put to use and, that, and the rest is history. I started working political campaigns and I did everything from recruit volunteers to organize events, um, you know, to help with the fundraising uh, and then I got sick of it because I, I, the more you learn about politics, the more you dislike it. You know, so uh, I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to go back to edu you know, I'm going to go back to focus on educating. I'm going to uh, I'm going to switch careers. And then um, this gentleman uh, who I had followed for a while decided to run for president and his name was Bernie Sanders. And I'm like, whoa. Bernie's running for president. I mean, he had already he had always gotten my attention just because he had an eye as an independent next to his name instead of a D or an R. So I said, hey, you know, I don't know anybody on the campaign, but he's got this fancy website where I could apply for jobs. I sent in my resume and, you know, uh, I got the phone call and, I, you know, a few months later, uh, close to a year later, I, I had worked for him in five states, um, including here in Nevada. And I had gone to the DNC as an employee of his uh, to, you know, uh, 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 hold some orientation for orientations for Bernie delegates and stuff like that and some informative sessions and then um, you know after Bernie I, I, I felt like I needed to stay engaged and you know I, like you mentioned I ran for city council unsuccessfully but um, I, I feel very very much uh, like like many of the other candidates that spoke here that we are every year more and more of these young people that are in high school right now are turning 18. And these young people have a great perspective when it comes to LGBTQ rights, when it comes to what a, a real work week should look like, when it comes to the fact that healthcare should not be a commodity, but should be fair and equal for everybody. And that your lifespan should not depend on how much money you have in the bank. 
Um, and, and, and with all these great young people coming into the voting age, I think that 2018, 2020, uh, we are going to have um, you know, some great positive elections with some great positive results. Um, and you know, that being said, um, uh, in 2018, you know, there was a lot, there was a number of very, very important positions uh, up for uh, election. And um, myself, um, on Tuesday, uh, there's gonna be a website uh, with all the information which coincides with all, everybody who's not listening to this live that's listening to uh, the podcast uh, could uh, this the, the website address is not available yet but if you f uh, follow me on Facebook uh, hectorrivera.com forward slash sorry facebook.com forward slash Rivera Hector or uh, my uh, my other political page which is facebook.com slash Hector Rivera NV um, you'll have all the links, but in 20, 2018, I am running for a uh, controller of Nevada for Nevada controller. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to focus on, uh, transparency, accountability, and diversity, uh, transparency, uh, the, the controller is the lead accountant, uh, for the state. And I want to bring town halls and informative sessions to the community so that they know where their money is going, where their tax dollars are going. And maybe if they notice the way our budget works, they'll be more uh, inspired to vote and more inspired to, you know, when, 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 the, when the elected officials are not spending the money properly, you know, we got to raise a little bit of heck, uh, hold their feet to the fire, and uh, make sure that they do spend uh, that money uh, appropriately. Also, you know, accountability. I want that when a small business owner or any individual calls the office of Nevada State Controller that we're able to help that person. And uh, so it's customer service. You know, they're paying for the staffers' salaries. They're paying the salaries of everybody, you know, in the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch, whether it's a salary or a stipend or whatever. They're, they're putting money in people's pockets. Um, and I want to make sure that the staff of this position is uh, providing customer service uh, and, and making sure that people, the people in Nevada are getting all uh, the information that they need so that they could be successful. You know, corporations, they could hire lawyers, you know, and they, they don't have to dig deep into, you know, you know, how to get a tax break on this or that. You know, somebody that with an actual small business might not know all, 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 the, all, all the tools that, that is available to them. Right, and that should be their resource. That, that is their public, that, that's their, their public resource for, you know, like SBA.gov, things like that should be more accessible, more transparent, more open, and more accessible at the end of the day. Absolutely. And then finally, diversity. And that, by, by that I mean, you know, we need people, uh, UNLV graduates and, and, and people, uh, um, you know, fr from all around the state uh, for, um, representing uh, uh, as staff uh, for the state controller. And, and, you know, looking into, like, where people actually need jobs, hiring people that actually need jobs, not just a bunch of insiders, you know, finding single mothers, single fathers, people of all working classes, and getting them to be able to help other Nevadans. Um, I think that's important. So uh, transparency, accountability, and diversity, and uh, more information to come on Tuesday. Awesome. Wonderful. Everybody, round of applause for Hector. Hector's going to be, we're going to cut in right here. When we know what the website is, we'll cut it in, oh, and I'll, thank I'll, you. I'll drop in a, you know, a, a, a the magic of the podcast. The magic I love of that. the podcast. Editing, yeah. editing, editing. I love it. <laughs>
Thanks for well, thank braving you. the freezing cold. It's with my us. pleasure. Thank you to both of you. <laughs> Appreciate you and your best of luck. Thank you. So everybody, this is bringing uh, a close to the speaking portion. Stick around. They're gonna have, we're gonna have some incredible music. Dead money. Uh, Joe Mescalino, uh, and also the Swank Bastards coming up later. Uh, some incredible music. We're super lucky to have you guys, and thank you for sticking through the freezing cold weather. Um, we're going to launch right now as our last little bit of our first show ever, our first live show ever, uh, a recurring feature. I think it's my opinion that the mistake that we made with our current president is one of communication, that we could have probably swung him over to our side because he doesn't really have any true moral compass. So, true. Uh, it's a little too late now. I think he's set up ground on that side of the issue. Of every I, issue. I don't think we want him anymore. I don't know if we want him anymore. But... I do think that there could be some value in talking to our next president. So what I'd like to do is start a semi-regular feature here called Bird Road Podcast Letters to Oprah. And so we started our first, our, first, our first letter here. Dear future God Queen Emperor, I write this letter to you precisely three years advance of your eventual inevitable coronation, almost to the day, years before the appointment of Dr. Oz as Surgeon General years before HHS Secretary Dr. Phil faces Senate confirmation, and before Secretary of Education Nicholas Sparks takes the helm of that crumbling institution. I love Nicholas Sparks. <laughs> Decades and centuries ago, in a bygone era of American politics, we sought to fill our elected positions with experienced public servants working for the public's good. Sometimes it even worked out. In, many more, re in more recent years, we've begun, electing a in, in, we've begun electing individuals who could imitate those selfless servants of yesteryear, looked, sounded, behaved, kind of do a approximation of them even that worked out now and then but w it was artifice and somehow we knew it today we no longer crave that artifice we want something authentic something we know as in something that has been processed through 30 marketing departments and that we've seen on television before we want something unfiltered even if it means that we look like assholes for putting it in office i don't mean to compare you to our current president that's not fair you probably have far more money and all evidence suggests you're actually good at business what concerns me is you're both arch archetypical products of our current model of capitalism. Makes me think that it might be impossible for you to understand the plight of the everyday citizen. I don't mean, uh, you're two sides of that spectrum. So today, as you consider the next step in your eventual path to becoming the most powerful person in the world, my advice is this, don't. Don't unless you're ready to come out strong with an agenda that reflects the true concerns of our country. A universal healthcare plan, that covers everyone from birth to death, a proactive plan uh, to counteract the effects of climate change, a foreign policy of peace and disarmament, economic initiatives that close the widening gap between the wealthy and everyone else, a rededication of resources to our social safety net, a chance for every kid to get a quality education, and also make Captain America your vice president, and maybe bring back the TV show Party Down. And if you do all of this, Madam Future President, you will almost have my vote, almost. The final requisite com uh, commitment I need from you is a big one. But as I gaze into the future, I feel pride know knowing that you're going to do the right thing. I see you, pen in hand, at the resolute desk, ensconced by adoring reporters and media, smiling for the cameras as you sign the Make Billionaires Illegal Act of 2021. Of course, you're welcome to send your excess billions to the charity of your choosing, perhaps the Chicago Bulls. They could really use it. If this future is more than a fantasy, Madam President, You've got our vote. Respectfully, your loyal subjects, Q and Jewish Dave.
that's it, everybody. Thank you very much for uh, thank you guys so sticking much. around. I can't believe you guys did it. Uh, if you can still move. <laughs> next up, who's that? Who's next up? Is it Joe or is it Dead Money's coming up?